Hello, and welcome to the Life Center Podcast. We're a church in Tacoma, Washington that exists to inspire our community to love and follow Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at all of our campuses, you can download the Life Center app, interact with us on social media, or visit lifecenter.com. Let's jump into this week's message. Thanks for listening. I have a dream. My poor little children one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. How long, not long, because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it's been so just How long, not long. If you allow me to live just a few years in the second half of the 20th century, I will be happy. Now that's a strange statement to make because the world is all messed up, the nation is sick, trouble is in the land, confusion all around. But I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. I see God working in this period of the 20th century in a way that men in some strange way are responding. Something is happening in our world. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Today we take time to honor the life and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I want to say a special thank you to the diversity and equity development team here at Life Center that Pastor Barbara Kelly helps head and I'm on that team along with other team members because we really believe that the, the dream that God placed inside of the heart of Dr. King, it was God's vision, God's dream of recognizing the Imago Dei, the image of God in each and every human. And ultimately, listen, at times it's easy to focus in on kind of our in-group compared to our out-group. We all have in-groups, we all have out-groups. And yet the reality is the gospel helps break down those walls. The gospel leads us to greater places of unity, not greater places of disunity, amen? And so today, with that in mind, we're going to continue on in this series entitled The Church I See. Over the last number of weeks, we've been talking about what it is to see what Jesus sees when it comes to the church. How many know the church was Jesus' idea? It was his plan. 
And so we've been unpacking this, and we've gone to Acts chapter 2 a number of times, and we've looked at an important description of what it declares about these early followers of Jesus, that they devoted themselves. Can you say devoted? They, they devoted themselves. And so we've taken that and jumped off and asked the question, what is it that God is calling us as life center to devote ourselves to? We've talked about that the church is both place and people. Can you say place, place. and people? Say people. It's important to understand this dynamic. So when we talk about Life Center, Life Center meets in multiple places across Pierce County. In fact, even beyond that, because there's friends who are watching online right now, and there is a place that people are gathered together with what we are doing, even beyond what we can see in this place. But ultimately, it's about the people of God understanding their assignment and ultimately the mission and the vision and the dream that Jesus had for this thing called the church. So I don't know about you, but for me, I want to see what Jesus sees when it comes to the church. I want to see that. And so today, with that in mind, I want us to look together to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. And we're going to focus in on this next piece, because so far we've talked about how we're called to be devoted to knowing Jesus and to making him known. Last week, we talked about what it is to be devoted to reaching generations. This week, I want to talk about the concept, the idea that God has put us in a city for a purpose. I want us to look together to Jeremiah chapter 29. No doubt, there's some of you in the room, as soon as I mention Jeremiah 29, we get excited because we think about one specific verse from this chapter. Maybe we have a coffee mug or a t-shirt or a tattoo or something that says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. We love that verse. But today, allow me a few moments to put that verse in its greater context. Because I think it reveals some important truths to us. Jeremiah, in this chapter, he sends a letter to a group of people who have been pulled out of their homeland and they're, they're living as exiles in a foreign land, in a foreign city. It was a godless land. It was a godless city. It was the, it was the empire in the city of Babylon. Listen to what Jeremiah speaks to these people through the voice of the Lord. It says this in verse 4, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. It says, Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them that they may have grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. It's interesting, God's command to this group of exiles, his own chosen people who have been pulled out of their homeland is here. You need to understand, you, you need to keep going on with life. Why? Well, there was a group of false prophets who were telling the people, you know what, this is only going to be a few-day journey. It's just going to be a three-hour tour. But it doesn't last that long. God's reminding them, no, no, this is going to be a few decades. I want us to focus in on this next verse. Look at verse 7. It says, and work for the peace. Can you say peace? And prosperity. Can you say prosperity? And work for the peace and prosperity of the city 
where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Now, I want you to to put this in context. God is talking to a group of people who have been against their will, plucked out of their homeland, placed in an enemy land, it's a godless land, and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to continue to go on with life. I want you to settle down. I want you to build homes. And not only that, I want you to pray for and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city that you're in. Here's why. Its welfare determines your welfare. God is asking Israel to do the unthinkable in the Old Testament. What is that? This is one of the only places in the Old Testament where God asks his people to pray for their enemies and to work to bless their enemies. This becomes a major theme of Jesus in the Gospels. We know that. But in the Old Testament scriptures, we don't, we don't see this theme drawn out very often. And yet, here's a group of people, and, and you may be saying, well, Tyler, that's then. How does that apply to us? Well, at times, as followers of Jesus, if we're not careful, we can begin to think in a line that says, well, this world is not my permanent home. I'm just looking towards my eternal home, which is heaven. So it doesn't matter what I do here or now. I I just want to get there. And listen, heaven is our permanent home, but I want to remind us in the same way that these people were living as exiles, we need to understand in a similar sense, we, we are exiles in this place. And yet what we do in the midst of the city that God is planting us in, it matters. It matters. And so we need to hear this and now apply it to our lives. What does it look like for us as a place and as a people to understand the call, the assignment to our city? It goes on. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. How many know when you read that verse in that context, it changes it, doesn't it? Because God is calling these people to do what feels unnatural, to, to bless their enemies, to love and serve and work for the prosperity of a land that seems far from God. God says, here's why I want you to do this. I, I got good plans for you. Plans to give you hope and, and a future. In those days when you pray, I will listen. Anybody else thankful that God hears us when we pray? If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Group of people who had been in exile, and God says, listen, even even though this is not necessarily your permanent home, I want you to get to work for the good of the land that you're in. 
See, today, as we talk about what is the church that Jesus sees, and if you've been around Life Center for a little bit, you've, you've probably heard me say this statement. But when we talk about the church I see, I want us to recognize the church I see is not just a church in a city, it's a church for a city. As Life Center, we're not called just to exist inside of Tacoma. We're called to bring impact in Tacoma and throughout the region. We're not just in a city, we exist for a city. Yet here's the question I don't want us to wrestle with. If, if we ceased to exist tomorrow, would anybody notice? Tomorrow the, the doors were locked up and the ministries went away and the buildings were leveled across all of our locations. Would, would anybody notice or could the city and the life of the people that are here in our cities, could they just go on and not even blink? So my prayer is that we are so focused on the mission that Jesus has given us that, that if we cease to exist, there would be a little bit of a panic that would break out. Why? Not because we're so amazing, but because we are so committed to Jesus' mission that we're bringing impact day in and day out. If we cease to exist, though, would anyone notice? Today I want to drill down on why it is that we actually exist as a church, and to help us, anybody, any, any, any other visual learners in the house today? Any visual learners? Today, I want us to consider why we exist as the church, and, and here's what I want to remind us. Do we think it's our mission to simply keep the tank or to release fishers of men? See, I, I want this visual to be etched in our heart and our mind. Because here's what happens as, as followers of Jesus. I, I grew up in this church. I was born and raised in a Christian family. And listen, I, I understand the dynamic that at times, life can get a little bit comfortable in the tank. See, here's, here's what I love about the tank. The water is kept at the right temperature. Somebody feeds us. Every week. Some, some of you will get that later on. <laughs> if we make a mess, somebody is there to clean it up. And, and if we're not careful, we, we can think that as a church, as a people, as a place, we exist to be keepers of the tank. And so we look around and we go, well, I like the rocks this way. I like the plants this way, and, and if we're not careful, here, here's the mentality that can sometimes creep in. So, well, this tank isn't really fitting my needs, but good news is there's other tanks. I'll just go to one that's a little bit bigger. I, I like the lighting better in this tank. I like the, the position, the rocks, the, the way that this tank meets my needs. See, when it, when it comes to this idea of the mission of Jesus, I want us to understand something important. He hasn't called us to just be keepers of the tank. Our ultimate assignment as Life Center is not just to go, okay, how do, how do we protect this? Okay, this is, this is our in-group. 
We've got to kind of get people just like us, who think like us, look like us, talk like us. No, no, no. Look at Jesus' vision about what his disciples were called to do. I want us to look to the gospel of Mark chapter 1 and verse 17. Jesus says this. Then Jesus called out to them, come and follow me and I will show you how to what? Fish for people. So are we committed to be keepers of the tank? Or are we committed to release fishers of men? I have to admit something to you. I pulled this rod out of my garage just yesterday. And uh, when my children saw it, my, my firstborn, my son, Judah, he asked me, whose rod was that? I go, son, I need you to sit down. This was your very first fishing rod. And he goes, Dora the Explorer? I said, listen, bud, we, we eventually got you a Cars one, but it's all they had at the store that one day that we went shopping. But listen, when, when we talk about fishers of men, what Jesus is not asking us to do is to, to get over another tank beyond ours and go, here, fishy, fishy, fishy. Come on, come on. How many of you are really nervous right now that I'm going to land one? <laughs> Here, fishy, 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 fishy. Come on. Oh, yeah, get it, get it. There you go. You see, listen, our goal to reach people, we're not called to build life center by fishing in somebody else's tank. Jesus isn't calling us as our assignment to just make the tank a little bit prettier, a little bit fresher a little bit more appealing to other fishies from the tank down the street so that maybe we can convince them to come jump in our tank because our tank is just a little bit warmer. Man, the lighting in our tank, woo, man. It's, man, the sound in our tank, it's awesome. It's, you know, the, the great thing about a tank, it, it provides a sense of safety and security for those who are in it. But is that Jesus' ultimate vision? See, when I talk about this idea of the church I see, Life Center, we have to be so careful. We, we should not just be a church in a city. Let me say it this way. We should not just be a tank in a city. No, we exist for our city. We got to move beyond our walls. And we got to be careful because I talked about this last week. We all have preferences. And if the preferences become more important than the mission, our perpetuating of the tank will become the mission. Oh, we got to keep it like that. We got we to be, oh, come on, Tyler, don't, don't, don't go there. I, I want to preserve what is. Yet Jesus is calling us to be fishers of men. See, in our world, in our culture, there, there's this mindset that says, well, listen, the, the church just exists for themselves. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many times have you heard that? 
The church just exists for themselves. The church just exists for other Christians. The church just exists to perpetuate religion. And so if we're not careful, we begin to believe that's our mission. We exist for us. We exist for our comfort. We want it our way. And and if I don't get it my way, there's other tanks. It's true, there's other tanks. But the mission of Jesus is not just to remain in the tank. It's to become fishers of men on assignment. See, how do we, how do we help the, the narrative in our city? How do we help overcome this idea? Well, the church just exists for themselves. And let's be honest, there's been a lot of horrific things done in the name of religion throughout the years. And so what's the solution? The solution is not just kind of retreating to the tank. It's not just showing back up in the tank. It's understanding the assignment. It's understanding the call. We are called to be fishers of men. I read a book a number of years ago by Erwin McManus called Unstoppable Force. And he he made this statement about the church. He said, the church became a refuge from the world rather than a force in the world. If we're not careful, we think that's our assignment. Oh, create this little safe space for us. Somebody to feed us, clean the tank. No, when Jesus described his vision of the church, it was people going out on assignment, on mission. The same grace that they received, they became dispensers of it. We're not called to just keep the tank. Erwin McManus continued, he said, the church became a fortress from the world rather than the hope of the world. May we never get so consumed with the tank that the walls that we establish are the very thing that keep people out. We're called to move beyond the walls. We're not just to reside in a city, we're to reside for our city. And so the question that I want us to consider, the question that I want us to wrestle with today is this, do we want a tank for us Or do we want transformation for all? What's our desire? So we come together, do do we focus on, man, well, if the plants were just kind of positioned over here, I would like it a lot better around here. If the rocks were a different color, if we could just turn the temperature up a couple of degrees, do we want a tank for us or do we want transformation for all? You see, Jesus' vision was transformation for all. That was his vision. That was his dream. To help us understand this a little bit more, I want to look to another Old Testament prophet for a moment. The irony here is we're going to talk about Jonah. See, Jonah was God's prophet. He had a unique assignment. Instead of being sent to the people of Israel, he was sent to a group of people who were outside of that covenant relationship. It was the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was a wicked city. It was a violent city. It was a cruel city. And God gives Jonah a clear assignment. Jonah, I want you to go and preach to Nineveh. And Jonah said, okay, and then went the opposite direction. I know nobody here has ever wrestled with that. It's interesting, Jonah, because of his disobedience, he's out on a boat, a storm rises up, he gets thrown overboard, and it looks like destruction is imminent, but then all of a sudden, grace shows up in the form of a fish. Jonah's swallowed by a fish. 
gets spit up on a shore, and Jonah's like, okay, I get it, I get it, I'll go. He walks into the city and he, he begins to declare to the people of Nineveh, listen, you got to turn or destruction is certain. And the unthinkable happens for Jonah. Why? Because the people, they hear the message and they repent. They turn. I love this. It says this in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they, the people of Nineveh, had done and how they put a stop to their evil ways. He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. Anybody see the irony here? He gets thrown overboard. He's thankful for one more chance, grace in the form of a fish. Now that this same God is gracious to those who would be what I would say outside of his tank, outside of the paradigm of who should be in, who should be included. Listen, we all deal with in-groups and out-groups. Ultimately, that was what Dr. Martin Luther King was trying to help society and culture understand. We're, We're all image bearers. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about... Anybody else ever complained to the Lord? Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were merciful and compassionate. Listen, this sounds like a worship song. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. And the church said, amen. It's interesting. He's complaining to God about how good God is. He's complaining. Why? Because, Because of the tank mindset, he can't see how God would choose anybody else. Just kill me now, Lord. Can you say drama? I I feel like this is, you know, kind of that teenager beginning to go through puberty and their emotions are just out of whack. You know what? Just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted did not happen. So Jonah goes out to the edge of the city, sits on the hill, wants to know what God's going to do. In other words, he's pouting. The sun begins to beat down on him. To make matters worse, God provides a hot, scorching wind, and he's just miserable. And I got to think that God's just sitting out there going, this is awesome. And then scripture says this, that God in his grace provided a plant to grow up and provide him shade and relief. What happened? Jonah is okay with the plant. Why? Because it's, it's positioned just right in the tank to meet his needs. And then God provides a worm to eat the plant. The plant withers and dies and Jonah is just frustrated. He's yelling at God. And then we find ourselves in Jonah chapter four, starting in verse nine. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted. Even angry enough to die. 
We look at Jonah and we laugh, but has anybody ever messed with your tank? Anybody ever messed with something that was kind of close to near and dear and you're like, it shouldn't be this way. I've been angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. You, you feel sorry about, you didn't even do anything to provide that, Jonah. It came quickly and it died quickly. Now, here's the clincher. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Tacoma, Furcrest. Lakewood, Spanaway, Parkland, Midland, Fredrickson, South Hill, Ruston, Eatonville, Yelm. Life Center, can I ask that we never get so consumed and caught up with the tank that we miss what is at the center of God's heart? It's people, people. God put us in a city to love a city. God put us in a city to serve a city. God put us in a city to reach a city. God's pleading with one of his sons, Jonah, you're upset about the decor in your tank. Don't you say 120,000 people in spiritual darkness, not to mention the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great City. Wow. See, people are at the center of Jesus' heart. That's why we exist. We, we don't exist just to keep a tank for us. We exist to go and become fishers of men, to, to bring transformation for others. See, on a real practical way, as we celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. King, I love this final quote from him that I want to share with us. He said this, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. So what does that mean for us as a church? Listen, everybody can have impact. Why? Because it's what God has created you to do. He didn't create you to just perpetuate a tank. He's not calling us just to be keepers of a tank. We're here to release fishers of men, to go on assignment, to embrace the mission of Jesus. See, Jesus' heart was to bring transformation to us. And today, we're going to do something special. We're going to close by celebrating communion. So I'm going to invite our ushers to come and begin to pass out the communion elements. And I would just ask over the next few moments if nobody would move around, because this is a holy, sacred moment. And I'm going to invite my friends, Anson and Joanna, to join me as we celebrate communion together today. Because we talk about transformation. And listen, Jesus' mission and purpose was to transform our lives and through us to bring transformation to a world that does not know him. What I love about celebrating communion, it's a declaration, it's a reminder of our unity. That as followers of Jesus, the, the level, uh, the ground level at the foot of the cross, the, the ground level at the foot of the table, it is for everyone. Everyone who would recognize their need. 
everyone who would recognize that they need a savior. They need his source, his faithfulness, his provision. And so today, listen, as the communion elements are being passed, maybe you're in this place and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Can I tell you, as you're preparing to receive communion today, all you need to do is say a simple prayer and put your trust in Jesus. Maybe today, if if you long to know that you're right with God, you want to know that your debt is paid, that you are forgiven. Maybe today you want to just say a simple prayer in your heart, Jesus, I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a fresh start. Help me to serve you and and follow you. Help me not to just focus on my needs and the comfort of the tank, but Lord, send me out on assignment with you. See, this communion, it, it speaks to us about unity. It speaks to us about transformation. It speaks to us about grace, about hope, about new life. Scripture says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples, with his friends. And that meal is important because it's always represented a unification in the body of Jesus, the body of Christ. And so it actually, it speaks against this idea of just creating a tank that looks just like us, talks just like us, sounds just like us. Jesus' vision of his body was every nation, every tribe, every tongue, all people groups, that they would experience this hope and salvation. So today, I'm going to ask Anson to pray over the bread as we prepare to partake of the bread together. Jesus, thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made, that you were broken, your body was broken so that we might be made whole, so that we may be all one, brought together in unity and in love. Thank you, Lord, that we remember that your great sacrifice was was for us. And Lord, you want us to be together. We pray that your will is done in and through us, Lord, as we observe this. We thank you for it, and we honor you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive it together. Scriptures continue that after supper, Jesus took a cup, and he said that this cup... It's a new covenant between God and mankind. Joanna, would you pray over the cup? Jesus, you say in the scriptures that you are not ashamed to call us your brothers and sisters. Yes. Let us emulate you and not be ashamed to ever call someone a brother or a sister because they may be different than we are. You died for all. And we thank you for the sacrifice you made. We thank you for this representation of your blood that washes us clean as snow. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we ask, amen. Would you receive the cup with me? 